of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 484. Jason Lindgren is with me and KL returns. We have a feeling this will not be a full two hours. It may go an hour and a half, but these are big deal episodes. Rose just put me this note. And for people who are taking an interest, what's being covered here, I'm going to tell you some things right now. So listen up. For the people who are interested in what KL offers, he has done many shows, but on top, four that people should listen to. And they are episode 256, 274, 393.5, and 394.5. And here's the part you should also pay attention to. There are prerequisite things you need to read. I have these two books. Actually, I think I have three or four now. The authors are Alfred Adask, which is A-D-A-S-K, Alfred Adask, and Charlie Robinson. The books are Trust Fever, and the other is Executing Your Estate. So there it is. And we're being serious here. There's a lot of contacts. You really, you're wasting your time if you don't. Go, they're small books. They're easy reads. I, I read both of them in a single day just to put a fine point on it. But you need to know what you're getting into. You need to comprehend the process. You need to comprehend trusts. There it is. Um, and if you just start sending emails, someone's going to ask you. So there it all is. Anyhow, welcome, Jason. And a very warm and beautiful good morning. All right. Uh, we've got Kale here. The header on the notes he has providers, provided us is as follows, seven transitions of American citizenship. It is possible that we'll correct some erroneous legal ideas in the second hour, which is probably going to be, well, we'll see how we divide this down. Anyhow, welcome, Kale. Welcome back. Well, I'm glad to be back. How is everything? And uh, thanks for having me back. Uh, everything is okay, although it feels like we're waiting for the world to exhale right now. It feels like we're on teetering on a brink of some sort, uh, and we we're waiting for the shoe. I think most of us are relatively of a mind that a good chance this will be uh, monetary, whatever starts to come next. And I will say again, as I'm going to say all the way up past the spring, the energies in this world are changing right now in our benefit, in the benefit of the common man and common woman, which maybe isn't the best way to refer to living beings, but you get what I mean this kind of Saturnian top-down iron-fisted crystallizing limiting control that's easing off right now. What we do matters as we head into spring and beyond. Anyhow, where would you like to jump in? Shall we just read the bullets verbatim? No, I, I will, let me start. Okay. You did touch on the monetary policy is going to change, and I truly believe that. And all of this is interconnected with the monetary changes that we've had since you know, the country founded. And we'll get into that uh, more towards the end, but it makes a big difference uh, when they do this and when they change the money system, uh, it's a big deal and uh, things are created, things are going to change, just exactly what Crow said. Now, what I really want to start with, I'm going to take you know this the first part of this talk on the seven transitions from what I call American citizenship to U.S. citizenship or American citizenship is a synonymous with union state citizen where everybody's starting to, you know, under Article 2 section or sec, yeah, Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution. So, you know, everyone was on an even keel at the beginning, and there's been these various changes along with the monetary changes that has turned 
you know, your American citizenship, what, what first started as an American ship into a U.S. citizenship. Now, I also want to take time to thank a guy by the name of Eric John Phelps. Happens to be a Baptist minister out of Pennsylvania, and he is the one who figured out the political status, political citizenship status, and how important it was for everyone to do. And that was maybe about 10 years ago. Uh, you know, people before that had uh, figured out how private trust uh, can help protect stuff and get you out of the system to a certain extent. But it really was this political status change that helped everyone in terms of their position or the recognition that the government would recognize you as a different citizen other than the one they presumed you to be. Thus, you know, it kept you out of jail, kept you out of IRS problems, that kind of stuff. So my hat is off and I wanted to thank a guy by the name of Eric John Phelps who figured all of this out years ago. Just let me make a quick point. What Kale just told you is this Baptist minister named Eric John Phelps figured out a critical thing. Before this was figured out, people were still going to jail. How many times have you heard on the legal episodes, this new person has figured out a new way and then you start hearing people are in trouble. They were also having IRS issues. This is where the proof is in the pudding. When you're not being arrested and not being taken down by the IRS, then something has changed. Anyhow, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And just as an example, in 2006, they arrested 300 people and a lot of them, the gurus teaching at that time that had done these 1099 OIDs and gotten refunds from the IRS. So they waited three years and then they went out and arrested all 300 in one week and they convicted all 300 and all of them spent three years in federal prison. So at that point, I said to myself, something's not right. I mean, obviously they knew about the private trust stuff and there was a lot to that. But if they were being caught up in the system and taken to jail, then I knew that something really wasn't right. And so did Eric John Phelps. And he's the guy that figured this out. He's one of the, the main teachers I had right after that happened. Okay. Okay. So I'm first going to go over the 1856 U.S. Supreme Court case called the Dred Scott decision. Now, the reason why that case is so important is because that the ruling that came out of that case really is what ends up promoting the 14th Amendment uh, in 1868. So prior, in around 1846, slave by the name of you know, Dred Scott I think was released from his uh, slave master from the South, went to the North. I don't know if it was Illinois or Missouri. I can't remember. Then was later arrested. So he sued, you know, that he was free, that his uh, slave master had set him free, this kind of thing. So it went up. Uh, he, had, he had lost all the, the state cases of the district, went up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And the U.S. Supreme Court basically said this, which I happen to agree with, that the federal government, had no jurisdiction over Dred Scott. The man? The man. Okay. Because he wasn't a citizen of the country at that time. He'd come from Africa. Okay. Uh, Wasn't born here. Okay. So just my analogy would be as if somebody from Guatemala came over, right, and wanted to sue the federal government or take a case our Supreme Court would probably say, we don't have jurisdiction over the guy. He's not a citizen. You see what I mean? Got it. It's, it's a very similar type of thing. And so they basically said they can't fix it because 
you know, they can't set him free because they don't have the jurisdiction over his body. Which becomes a basis. Which, right. Now, lo and behold, guess what happened when Roe v. Wade got overturned? Okay, the Supreme Court basically said again, we don't have jurisdiction over somebody's body. Okay? Whereas in 73, you know, they felt, the court at that time felt they did. All right? So, in a way, I, I believe with the recent Supreme Court again, by saying that they really don't have jurisdiction over my body to tell me what I can and can't do with it, okay? Like a vaccination, all right? Okay. So, these are the things, are the big things that, that I look at or try to find what the U.S. Supreme Court case is going on to try to, or they're trying to tell you something, okay? So, just like now, imagine, you know, the left, they get all upset with that Supreme Court ruling, just like they did in 1856. Well, there was no remedy, should have been set free, blah, blah, blah. So you can see they would have acted exactly then as they would now, okay? With the, it's not fair, we need to do something. Well, you know, my solution would have been just follow the rules that if you were natural, you could become naturalized. If you stayed here, filled out a paperwork, whatever, there was a system in place so he could have become a union state citizen. And if he had children that were born in the country, then they were American citizens, you see? So in my mind, there was a remedy, but this upheaval about what's fair, what's not fair, or let's do something for him, kind of led to the 14th Amendment coming down the pike in 1868. So you want to write this down. First transition, this is number one out of seven, is the 14th Amendment, 1868. And again, remember, prior to this, the citizenship was conferred by Article 4, Section 2 of the Constitution. Now, what they, what Congress did was take that Article 4, Section 2 citizenship, state citizenship, and what they called in their writings, and again, I've read their writings, they broadened and enlarged it to become a national citizenship. So, so I'm going to use words like this. It was first a federal, you know, state citizenship. And they broadened it to a national citizenship. For every state? For every person. Yeah. All right. Let me give you an analogy. Let's say somebody is a French citizen, right? Born in France. But when they formed the euro, they made a European citizenship. Okay. They broadened it to the fact that now they can travel freely between the states, between the countries, right? just as if they could travel freely within their own state, right? So isn't that really what happened to us is you know, with, with national citizenship that allowed this, this thing where you could be, you know, even if you were born in Georgia, you could be a Floridian. It made this broad, I really call it a corporate citizenship or a public citizenship, more or less like a piece of paper. You belong to the big club now. So it's not only are you, a Georgia citizen where you were born, but you're also a citizen of the United States with this big group of nations that have formed this union. Okay. So citizenship, the broadened and large citizenship creates in substance a new republic. It's a centralized Roman Republic waiting for the imposition of the temporary military government that comes in in 1933. And again, we're going to get to that as we go along. This broadened jury national citizenship being paramount and dominant, state citizenship being subordinate and derivative. So 
what happened was, you know, what was on top was the state citizenship. Now they create this citizenship of the United States, which is superior and dominant to your state citizenship. So your state citizenship becomes subordinate to the citizenship of the United States. So do you know the actual process is this? I'm just going to take a not very, well, a semi-educated guess. So at this point, something changes when a new life comes in, is born. So we know a doctor signing that birth certificate. We're pretty sure in most states, it goes up to the state. And another thing happens, is that where this happened? When that birth certificate went to the state? I'm going to get to the birth certificate thing. That's that's about like transition five or six. Okay. Okay. That's what we're going to get to. So it alters the constitution. Again, we really become a national federal government instead of a limited. And when you do stuff like this, when you make the national government bigger, you're sacrificing state rights. You know, so you got to take, it's like everything else, something else gets taken away. So the state uh, rights become less where now the national government becomes bigger. And this gets to the original fight of the federal government, you know, between uh, Jefferson and Hamilton, you know, about the limited government. Hamilton wanted the large, you know, unlimited government, federal government, where Jefferson wanted the limited government. Okay. Yep. So the second transition starts with the court case. And then again, that, that happened in 1868, the 14th Amendment. And remember, this isn't on this paper, but remember in 1871, the act of 1871, where DC uh, incorporates itself. Okay. So now you have, well, let me ask you this, Jason, go back to the first page and read the 14th Amendment for me out loud. 14th Amendment, all persons born or naturalized in the United States and are subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and citizens of the state wherein they reside. Hey, you see that magic word and yep. citizens of the United States and citizens of the state wherein they reside. So there's two different citizenships. And, and you know that we've gone over this in previous episodes, you know, that there are two different citizenships that they're creating. They're creating a second one. And this is very important for later things to happen. Okay. So after you get the 14th Amendment citizenship of the United States, okay, Supreme Court does some rulings. Now, I want to get into the slaughterhouse cases because it's actually somewhat near Jason. Slaughterhouse cases have to do with the Butcher's Union in Crescent City. Butcher's Union was in New Orleans. And the city said, you know, people are getting sick. All these butcher places aren't uh, safe. There are uh, bacteria all over the place. We're going to make them move outside of the city in Crescent City kind of a thing. So the Butcher's Union sue and uh, there's about five different cases, five different times they sue in the conglomerate. All the cases together are called the slaughterhouse cases. OK, now what's important in the slaughterhouse cases, especially the one in 1873, is that the Supreme Court rules that the privileges and immunities of the new 14th Amendment of American citizenship do not include the fundamental rights, do not include the common law rights, and later do not include the first bill or first eight bill of rights which are later uh, you know, upheld under Maxwell v. Dow in 1900, and another case called 20 versus New Jersey in 1908. So look at this. State citizenship, you have your Bill of Rights. You have the common law rights. But if you claim, and again, when you have two different citizens, it's up to you to declare which citizen you are. 
Okay, so if you declare you're the new 14th Amendment citizen of the United States, the Supreme Court says you don't have any common law rights or the Bill of Rights. Okay, so they lost the case at the Supreme Court level because you got to go back and read the case. But the the, uh, Butcher's Union, well, the suit actually said we're not getting due process under the 14th Amendment clause. Well, if you're claiming you're not getting due process under the 14th Amendment, you're claiming you're a citizen of the United States citizen. Okay, God, that's tricky. God, that is Isn't so that tricky. That is underhanded. Go ahead. It's just yeah. damn. But what it did is put them in a different jurisdiction where there are no rights for them without them knowing. Right, without them knowing. But the Supreme Court's starting to tell you this, and there's a variety. Again, when I did other talks with you to prove that I think I have over ten cases where they over and over and over say the 14th Amendment citizenship does not have the Bill of Rights. Okay. Is it only, is it only the Bill of Rights? What if, what, what about the constitution? I have that either. Nope. Nope. So it's all, all these things that the news comes on for the last, my lifetime talking about the constitution. They're just blowing smoke. Right. Now there is a way to get your constitutional rights and we'll get into that later. But for now, the, the point is, that you have the voluntary right to claim which citizenship you want or have. Okay. It's like raising your hand and say, I'm a Democrat. And the other guy says, I'm a Republican or I'm an independent or I'm a libertarian. You know, God gave us free will and this country gives you free will to declare what you want to declare. All right. But if you claim you're a 14th, you claim you're a U.S. citizen or what we call a citizen of the United States, you're not going to have the Constitution behind you or the Bill of Rights in the present court system. Okay. And again, there's a reason for that. We'll get into that. All right. Transition number three, the third big issue. Now, pursuant to, you know, the Jesuit order, the Jesuit order is the military arm of the Vatican, who's really running the show here. They're the, they're the ones that incorporated DC back in 1871, you know, but with a Delaware corporation called the United States Inc. Anyways, they realized Congress had only constitutional limited powers to legislate over the private American citizen living in the states. And that's true. You understand the republic was set up so the federal government really had no control over the citizen itself. It really had was supposed to deal with just the states. Okay? It didn't have jurisdiction over the private American citizen or the private American man or woman. That's how it was originally set up. But Congress, under the Constitution, has total and exclusive supreme power over the territories. And what are the territories? Well, what are there? Seven, uh, Guam, Puerto Rico, the Mariana Islands, uh, Washington, D.C. is a territory. Okay. So what we call protectorates, so people could think of it, right? Right. And a territory is different than a union state. Everyone agrees with that, right? Yep. And you would agree that. Washington, D.C. was not one of the 50 union states. No. Thus, thus, D.C. has all 14th Amendment citizens that were born there. Puerto Rico does. They have a different jurisdiction, different set of laws. Just to give an example, if you were to go down and start living in Puerto Rico and making money, did you know that the tax rate's only 5%? Hmm. Yeah, everyone's just, and you only have to live there three months a year, but yeah. Different set of rules, different jurisdiction. Because Congress, Congress rules Puerto Rico. You might as well say that uh, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, because she's head of the 
She's head of the legislature, right? She's almost the de facto president of Puerto Rico because Puerto Rico is run by statutes and codes. Makes sense. It's not run by the Constitution because it's a territory. But do they have like, so I'm born in the state of California and I have a path, which you showed me. If I would have been born in Puerto Rico or say D.C., would that path exist for me? Yes and no. There was a case in 1949 where if you made the right claim, even though you're under Article One legislative jurisdiction, you can access Article Three via Article One. It's called the uh, what's it called? The Hack versus Concrete Wall. Yeah, I think is the case. But there is a way. But again, you got to know how to do it. You got to be knowledgeable in how to access to be on equal footing as if you were. Uh, born in one of the union states, because your whole, all of these rights are really birthrights out of where you were born. Okay. But you can come in under equal footing if you're naturalized or uh, let's say you were born in DC, you can reach and try to get to article three jurisdiction via article one, the district court. So there is a way. Okay. Yeah. But no, under normal circumstances, your whole life is being un, uh, ruled under the statutes and codes. I'm sorry, one more time, Pia. Do people know the way for those who were born under a protectorate? There, what you have to do is make a claim, like in federal district court, that you want to get into the federal uh, Article Three jurisdiction via Article One. In the court case that that references is the Hack versus Concrete Wall, I think, of 1949. Because what what was happening is you had the the, the big case was this uh, DC corporation was suing a Maryland corporation. And of course, the Maryland or the DC corporation was being told it has no rights. Okay. So then the Supreme Court at that time ruled, well, you can be on equal footing if you come in, even though we know you're under Article One, but we can you can come in under Article Three of via Article One. So they were saying there was a pathway to access the proper uh, rights. The only reason I'm asking is because sure as God made little green apples, someone from D.C. or Puerto Rico is going to email. Well, I have uh, three students that were born in the District of Columbia. I've turned them into private American citizens, but they come in under the equal footing doctrine. Okay, enough said. That was the point that I was I was trying to discover uh, are people successfully doing this. Go ahead. I, I make a claim for them under the equal footing doctrine. Okay. All right. So, again, we'll get back to the, con- the Congress. Is total power over the territories. Okay. So if you add absolute power of Congress to regulate commerce, then why not plot to reduce the states to mere conquered territories to be temp, quote, temporarily ruled by an emergency war powers military government while simultaneously conferring a new corporate business style public US citizenship on the once private American citizens? So, you know, the powers that be, you got to start thinking like them. You know, they have all of this power in D.C. and they have all of this power they want over the territories. How do we get the states to be territories is the game after the 14th. Okay, now that we change to national citizenship, how do we get those, quote, citizens under like a territorial jurisdiction? All right. Now, the people then to be ruled by legislative absolutism of Congress, which is Article One. It's myriad of statutes to be enforced by the courts, federal and state, sitting in exclusive Roman equity. Roman equity courts of the military conqueror, commander in chief. Remember, 
The seal of the executive office of the president is the same seal for every federal district court. Now, that seal, if you look at your $1 bill on the back on the right-hand side, that same seal is in every federal courthouse. Okay, that is the executor. That's power. That's Article Two power. Military. Occupation. Running in these Article One courts. Okay, because you got to understand, let's go back to what the Constitution said. Okay, Article Three of the Constitution creates the Supreme Court. Okay, so that's why that's constitutional. But then later, Congress creates what they call the inferior courts. Of course, inferior means anything that's below the Supreme. So like the district courts, the circuit courts, the state appeals courts, all of those are really called inferior courts. And originally, they were created under Article One. That's why they're being run now. They're still Article One courts, but they're being run by the Article Two military under this military martial law occupation. And again, we'll get into that transition in a bit. Okay. Now, here's where the birth certificates come in in the early 1900s. Now, the first birth certificates, I believe, were given as a benefit to female federal employees. At the time, I believe if they said, if you record, if you let us record your birth, we're going to give you two weeks vacation, paid, I think paid vacation. So imagine back in the 1900s where nobody's got paid vacation, when the, when the government comes in and gives these women two weeks paid vacation, if they just record their birth, okay? And that catches on like wildfire and then companies start doing it. So you, you see what happens again when they dangle these benefits in front of people, they take them. They think it's free, but there's really something else going on. So, so let's, let's make the point. I'm sorry for interrupting. Yeah. What the hell does everyone think is going on right now? What the hell do you think the COVID checks were for? What, you know, I'm just saying you don't get something for nothing. And here we're listening to KL give us a history and we think, oh, that was then this is now. No, these yep. same tricks are used. So when you take something, you damn well better consider what you're taking. Right. And the and the example you brought up is fantastic because when you accept the benefit of that trust, you are agreeing that you're a U.S. citizen. Unless, and here's the big unless, the but, unless you rebut and tell them otherwise. Okay. So just hypothetically, let's say if someone did accept it, you could write a letter to the Treasury Department because that's where the check came from came from the Secretary of the Treasury. Thank you for the gift, but this is not for settlement closure of my estate and you know, it doesn't hold me to any type of uh, contract. Because when you, again, when you accept a benefit, that's a trust agreement and you're going into contract with the federal government who gave you the check, just exactly what Crow said. So it's not for free and there's always strings attached and that's exactly what they were doing. They were trying to get people under their jurisdiction. Opt in. It was an opt in. opt in. And let's make another point here while we're on it, because I already know we're going to get emails based on what you just told people, because everybody's going to want to do it. My first check was from MetaBank, from a place called White House with no seal, signed by Donald J. Trump. So I said, well, what the hell is MetaBank? But are we are we of a mind that because um, the reason I'm asking this, because I'm sure other people got there from White House, wherever the hell that is, is that still the treasury behind MetaBank? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. Had, had of, where did the money come from? That's, that's, that's the point. They had to come out of the Treasury Department because they're the ones that have all 
your accounts with the money and the credit, I'll call it credit, uh, that's where that's at. So it had to come from there. And again, I'll, find, I'll tell you where that credit and how that was done in, in one of these you know, later transitions in 33. Okay. okay. So the open but false purpose is to merely record the birth of babies, quote, natural persons. But the secret but true purpose was to act as a unilateral contract under of adhesion under seal by operation of law, each creating a statutorily artificial person, you know, quote, public citizen with an all caps name of war and a name of war is called a nom de guerre. If I ever say it, that's what that means. So the 14th Amendment individual private American natural person who was, remember, who, who was private at that time will eventually in 1933 consent to be the surety for and bonded to the state created public citizen, all right, that, that is created when the birth certificates are registered, that public citizen is created by the state. So by 1939, he will be required to file a tax return pursuant to the Internal Revenue Code. So again, this is about how they're going to get you under that jurisdiction, right? And again, we've gone under separate podcasts before where they, your afterbirth is abandoned. They create a name for that thing. And that name is your name because it has your DNA in it. And they, it has is, it is made a sole corporation, okay, because it's a dead entity, okay? a corporation of one. Jason, read number five, definition of, the, the corp, of a corporate soul. Corporate soul, corporation of one, a legal entity consisting of a single incorporated office occupied by a single natural person. Person. Right. So basically, you're kind of what we call wedded or bonded to that all caps name. Every time when you say, you know, are you Jason such and such? And you say, yes, you're agreeing to be the surety and surety under Black's law is that a is a person that has agreed to take on the debt or obligation of another. So every time you answer with the all caps name, which is a corporation, which is not you, okay, you're agreeing to be liable for that thing. So when the cop says, is that you on the license? You just agreed that you would be liable and you would take on the debt or obligation for that thing. Okay. I know it's all sleight of hand, deceit type of thing, but this is how they operate. This is the part I always say that annoys me though, because it's all underhanded trickery. No one yes. told you about this. No one explained this to you. Oh. It's it's ridiculous. Sounds like fraud, doesn't it? It is fraud, but Absolutely. It's, it's, okay. it's, system, it's systematized fraud now. So now fraud is no longer the issue. The system well, is fraudulent. Again, they act under presumption. They don't act under facts. This is the, my problem, too. They don't act under facts. They act under presumption. Okay. Now, the, the good part, you know, there's always two sides of the coin. The good part is because it's fraud that you can legally, even in their system, undo these things. Okay. So there is remedy, but you have to know how to do it. That's the issue. And this is how, you know, their thinking is always, well, if you're too stupid to figure it out or know, then that's your problem. Can we make a point here from other yeah. legal episodes we've done? So the police officer comes up to your window. And says, let me see your ID. Oh, okay. John Smith, is this you? Well, no, officer. I'm a living man. Yes. Do you suppose the officer has any freaking idea what you're about when it you depends. say those words? I doubt it, but it depends. I guarantee if the uh, feds walked, knocked on your door and you said that, they would know what you mean. 
the point being is that the training, the systematic acceptance of fraud has trained the actual workers into the system to do what they do. And so you've got to always keep this in mind. And this is the important part of so many of the other legal ideas. Spiritually, they're true. God gave you your, your rights. God gave you your life. These things are all true, but the system ain't having none of it for the most part. So what we're doing here is showing one option of a lot we've covered on how you can live a life without going to jail. Yes. <laughs> you, you know, and, and, and getting in fights. This, that's, I just want to make the point. Yes, because if they didn't provide remedy, they would all be in jail. So they have to provide us with remedy, the natural men and women with remedy. But the hard part is that you have to learn how to access or get that remedy. All right. So transition number five. Again, this is all about how did the American citizen, Union State citizen, become this U.S. citizen? March 9th. Well, again, let's start out with March 4th. President FDR is inaugurated. Okay. That's on a Saturday. Sunday takes the day off. Monday declares, March 6th declares a national emergency and closes the banks. Okay. And they put forth what's called the Emergency Banking Relief Act. And that amends the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917 uh, on Thursday, March 9th. So everything happens on March 9th, 1933. The constitutionally created courts at the time of the Republic become emergency war power courts under the military due process of law imposed by the amended Trading with the Enemy Act. Impersonum jurisdiction is now obtained over the private American citizen through his artificial public citizen, straw man that was created by the birth certificate for which he is a subordinate surety. We kind of went over that. And another name for surety is the trustee of the trust or a defendant. A defendant is trustee of the trust going on in the court system. The Trading with the Enemy Act confers a military process upon all constitutional civilian courts, federal and state. The 14th Amendment private American citizen who unknowingly acts as the surety for the artificial person, right, keeps answering to that name, is bonded into one new hybrid individual public U.S. citizen. And that's, that's basically what your straw man is, when you agree to be liable Remember what when Jason read, what's the legal definition of a corporate soul, okay, is that. And the reason it had to be a corporation, and this isn't covering here, but I'm going to quick state it. The reason they had to create a corporation is because under the Constitution, Constitution, you can tax corporations, all right? So only corporations have income and wages. People don't. People have earnings, but corporations have what they call income and wages. You heard that term before? You ever seen that term on a W-2? Of course. 1099, you see income and wages. You see it on the 1040 all over the place, right? Yeah. That's for corporations. So you're filling out a 1040 for your all cap straw man when you do that. And they it's legal to tax the artificial corporation. It is illegal and unconstitutional to tax the man. But again, the game is to get you to volunteer to be liable for that all caps corporation. Okay. Which is done in a lot of ways. Even your driver's license, top checkbox. Are you an American citizen? 
Yeah, this emergency war powers is basically a judicial secret, a legal fiction concealing the fact that the private American national man citizenship has undergone a change to be known only to the emergency war powers, judges, federal and state. So there are the Article three judges know all of this and know what's going on. All right. The second legal fiction is that the government of the United States has undergone a change. It's Republican government in form, but a military government in substance. The de facto military government of the United States is a creation of both Congress and the president acting in his capacity as commander in chief. Congress representing the new hybrid, you know, straw man citizens were seized as booty of war on March 6, 1933, imposes a de facto military government by way of the Wicked Emergency Banking Relief Act, now codified into U.S. Code at 12 U.S.C. 95A. That Emergency Banking Relief Act amends a World War I statute, which we went over, known as the Trading with the Enemy Act of 1917, codified in the U.S. Code at 50 U.S.C. Application 5B. The president issues his Proclamation 2040, validated by Congress, passes it, that imposes the Trading with the Enemy Act on every, quote, person in the United States, hence the de facto, the de jure civilian government created by the Constitution has now been ousted the de facto military government created by the Emergency Bank and Relief Act of 1933 is now in charge, okay? The president has use of all of this seized property. Now, all persons, if you read the Trading with the Enemy Act, person is an individual corporation, partnership, or association. Those are all artificial people. Pearsons, I'm sorry, not people. Artificial, okay? And if you read any Motor Vehicle Act of any state, it's the same exact definition of what a person under the Motor Vehicle Act is. It's an individual, corporation, partnership, or association. It's an artificial person, okay? They only have control, statutes codes only have control over artificial persons. Now, the next one ties into what happened on March 9th, 1933. A month or two later, the fifth transition is the House Joint Resolution 192, 1933. I think that's June 5th. So it's about almost two months after the, uh, the emergency is declared. All payments in gold are suspended, national bankruptcy declared. Now, this is the part I want you to really understand, is they took away the lawful species, the gold-backed currency. Okay? Now, that's a big deal because of this. In order to possess or convey legal title to any asset, whether you're in the public or in the private, you have to have what we call valuable consideration, which is lawful species on the contract or attached to the contract. Okay, so if they take away our real money and they give us this monopoly money called Federal Reserve Notes, okay, it's not gold backed anymore. Okay, thus, whenever you and I'm going to use the word buy something, okay, like a car with Federal Reserve notes, which is not lawful species, which means the legal title cannot pass from the dealer to you, but the equitable title, which is use and possession of the thing you get. So legal title never passes. It's given to the state. State comes along and says, well, since we really own the car, have ownership in the car. I work telling you that it has to have plates, it has to have that be registered, you have to have insurance, kind of a thing. So I want you to tie in the legal titles 
cannot move or you cannot have them without lawful consideration or lawful species of money. Okay. So again, when you buy a car, you buy a home, there was no lawful money attached to the contract. Both of you would agree to that, right? Of course. Okay. And because there was no lawful money on the contract or passed from one person to another, all you got was equitable title and you're given a, you're given a title, a piece of paper that says you have equitable title, but really that equitable title is just, you get the right to use the car and possess the car. You could, heck, you could paint the car, you could put in a new stereo system, you get to use it, right? And if you sell it, you're not selling the car, you're actually just selling the right to use the car to the next person. So there never really is legal title out there. And you can't have it because originally no lawful money was attached. So if you're one of these people that run around or think you can run around with no plates, I highly don't recommend that. Let's make a point here. Does everyone comprehend what was just said here and what cryptocurrency means? Does everybody realize what cryptocurrency means? It's just like FRNs. You will never have legal title to it. That's what they want. That's Monopoly. how they control it. And so, so again, when they took away our money, they said, okay, to make things right, we're going to put everything into a trust. And then we're going to have the legal title. We'll give you the equitable title. We're not stealing anything. We're just going to hold it until you come back to claim the legal title. So right now, all of those legal titles to all of that property, all of those farms, all of those houses, all of the cars, everything that's happened and been purchased since 1933 is being held in trust. The trustee of that trust is the Secretary of the Treasury, but it's under the control of the commander, president of the United States. Okay, he gets... He could take it tomorrow. This is what it gives him the right to come in and take your farm. If he says, "Uh, I don't don't want you growing corn anymore. You need to grow soybean. He has, under the present system, the right to come in and confiscate. It's called usufruct, anything or any property, because the government is really the one that has the legal title every day. Because, Because, again, they took away our lawful money. This is how... They control us. It's under this trust system, this trust arrangement, where they put everything into trust, the legal titles to everything in trust. It gave us equitable title, just use and possession. All right? All right, let's take the money. Again, you have money in your pocket. You're allowed to use it, all right? but it's not yours. Well, whose money is it? Well, it's the Federal Reserve's. Because it says Federal Reserve note right at the top of a, you know, the money. Well, how do I know there's a trust going on and how do I know they control it? Well, aren't they devaluing the money right in front of your face. And the only way they could do that is if they had controlling interest and legal title to the money. Right? Yeah. This is how it's done. Every By putting things in trust and by them keeping the, the legal title, they can control things. So there's an old saying that says, he who creates controls. So normally the person that creates these trusts are also the trustee, which means they want to control it, but they're not the beneficiary. Okay. So let me just raise a question here. Well, if the government can create these artificial things or these trusts, why can't the real man create a trust that he can control? And of course, the answer is yes. Right? He can. He can. Well, you ought to know, Crow. I do know because I've done it. So I can. 
I am the living man. I can create a trust. That's I have the control of things is you have to create it so you can control it and then put those assets into your trust so the government no longer has the title to those things. That's how you control. So everything that's laid down here, I, I just get a sense that a lot of people hear what you're talking about and they think, oh, those rat bastards, look what they did to us way back when. No, they're queuing up to update what's been done to all of us right now. As a matter of fact, as Kale was going through these dates, I was wondering, will we have an event of some sort of March 9th this year? Because if it did occur on March 9th or even on March 6th, I would know what it related to. Yep. The point being is even our minds right now are slaved out. All these people involved in crypto, they're normalizing the, the shackles of slavery. And by the way, when the real digital crypto comes, if they get their way, do you suppose they will tolerate competition from Bitcoin? No, they no. will not. And they have the legislative power to do something about it. But what's happened is everyone involved in crypto, crypto, which is a spiritual black hole, which I've been saying right along, is forging the chains that will prevent anyone from ever owning anything. Anyhow, there it is. Okay, I just want to draw the line because everyone's right. always on me about why I won't ever touch crypto for spiritual reasons because I'm not a slave. You and I are, are both the same. I'm not, I don't touch it. I've never bought it. I never will. No, you and I are interested in the money God made. It's called gold or silver. Right. It's no different than the Federal Reserve notes, but it's going to have a whole lot more control to it on their end. That's right. why they're doing it, is for more control. Pure control. Every single transaction clocked. Programmable yep. currency. You can only spend $10 today. Programmable currency. Guess what? No money for you. You forgot to renew your driver's license. That's where this goes. They could do anything and everything. That's right. Right. You're over your weekly allotment or daily allotment of this or that, and this we shut it off for a day or a month or whatever. There it yeah, is. That's total control. That's what everyone with a clue keeps saying, by the way. They want this one centralized digital identity slash currency that is you in one place that can be turned on and off whenever they want. Yes. You really think that, you know, the people that have rule this planet that have couple hundred trillion dollars themselves, these families are going to allow us to take control over the money system. It'd be very difficult. Or own anything. Or own anything. They're, they're going to they just want more and more numbers under their control. And they got to figure out a way how to get, I think, again, just like how when we were state citizens, and then they introduced this national citizenship. Well, guess what? Now it's either going to be a North American citizenship or a global citizenship, which puts you into a new trust under a new jurisdiction. Again, they're, they're probably going to lay out a benefit like, oh, we'll give you 2000 a month free money, right? That would be one way to, to entrap you into the new system, right? You're not far from wrong. I've actually had from, well, I'll just keep my mouth shut. The way this goes or the way one of the ways this is planned to go is they break everybody. The wealth stripping goes to some big event where retirement accounts, bank accounts, all people are just decimated. And then the people themselves start crying for help. And when the help comes, it comes in the form of UBI, universal basic income, then your ass is theirs. And by the way, that universal basic income will be programmable cryptocurrency, digital currency, whatever you'd like to call it, two facts 
of when this comes, however it gets here, because they may not get their way. But I know certainly that that is one of the plays. You will not be able to have a savings account and you will not be able to inherit your wealth down to your children. That's what's in the offing here for people who want to keep sleeping and playing with crypto and not not taking active means to be a free living being. Yes. My term for universal basic income is universal beneficial income because it's going to be a benefit of a trust, which means unknowingly you're going to enter into a new jurisdiction with new rules to the game. And if you take it, you accept it, you're accepting the duties and responsibilities that are associated by taking the benefit. With all path to ownership behind you, because right now they have forced the price of gold and silver down. You know why? Federal Reserve's been buying more gold this year than it has in the previous 50. You know why? Because gold-backed currency, like Russia has, hint, 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 is going to be the new game in town, which destabilizes the dollar. The point being, when this is over, the price of gold and silver will go out of reach for almost everybody. There will be no feasible path for ownership of things. So how do you get, how do you purposely get people to beg for the change? You devalue the dollar. Okay, hyperinflated. Isn't that exactly what they're presently doing? Yes. With no end in sight. It's not stopping. It's going to be so hard to afford basic needs for most people. They'll have them, you know, by the cojones. Crying for UBI. Begging. They'll be begging for it. Which is the lock on the shackles. Yes. Please put that rope around my neck, please, or the shackles on my feet. Yes. There it is. All right. So as a result, all the artificial persons, public citizens of the United States on file with the states are given a monetary value to serve as collateral for all credit to be extended to the United States. Congress by Federal Reserve, the de facto empires to have unlimited war making power. Therefore, it must have access to unlimited credit. So again, those state birth certificates are bonded. Okay, which serves as collateral to print the Federal Reserve notes. Okay, they really don't print it out of thin air. The collateral is your birth certificates, the future pledge of you, the straw man, making income and paying taxes on it. That's the collateral. There has to be collateral. Okay, otherwise the system wouldn't work to produce the credit that is always used today. Thus, for the Federal Reserve to extend unlimited credit to the war making Congress. There must be securities with unlimited collateral to secure that debt. These securities with unlimited collateral are the certificates of live birth having created quasi-corporate artificial persons, individual public citizens of the United States, you know, on file with the state. Now, again, think about this. That created collateral for the United States to create all of these dollars around the world. Well, my opinion is, you know, that's coming to an end because... You know, there's only so much debt and stuff we can hang on the collateral of the people in the United States. But if we had the people in the world collateralized, wow, talk about unlimited credit then. So how would you, if you were them, think about how could you get everybody at one time or hopefully mostly everybody, okay, collateralized? Well, you might throw a fake... (laughs) coronavirus out there and beg everybody to get the free vaccine, but unknowingly the vaccine turns you into a GMO, which turns you an artificial entity, but now it's an artificial person, which they can put a lien on for your future income. So now instead of just 
the people in the United States being collateral. Now you have six, maybe six billion people being the collateral for the new money. All right. We've, we've got to put a cut point. I hate to cut it right here, but we're a little bit over the hour. Jason, the outro I'm going to do right now, why don't you just assume that you can cut it in where you think the best division is since we probably won't go a full two hours. All right. Everyone who's interested in what we're talking about, and you're getting serious, I already said up front, go to the beginning of this. There's two books by Alfred Adask and Charlie Robinson. You need to read them. And then you will have a grasp on on where this can possibly go. In other words, uh, no emails from a semi-serious person are going to be entertained here. There's just too many. With that, I'm going to bring the first hour-ish, wherever Jason chooses to cut this, of episode 484 to a close. Uh, We're going to take a short break. We're going to come back. Sorry I had to cut it right there, but I have a feeling Jason's going to need to move this anyhow and choose a better place. With that, I'd like to wish everybody a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era, and we'll come back for the second hour. Look, these are among some of the most important shows we do. Natural childbirths, or hope for the future. These are important shows. This show right here is showing you they're making a more serious run it's slaving us out. But this time when we say out us, it's everybody, everywhere. There it is. And it starts with the shot. And now you have a better grasp on why I will never have anything good to say about cryptocurrency. Any, anyhow, let's take the break. Uh, I want to wish you all a happy, healthy, higher-minded new era. Cheers.
belief is the enemy of knowing.